Hey, get your Bible out and let's uh, open up God's Word together. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. We're kind of working our way through this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning, okay? And uh, hey, a couple of weeks ago, Liz and I decided to get a new grill, Okay, so our old one was worn out, we'd had it a while, it was rusted out, it lived a good life, it was time to move on to a new grill. So we went down, picked one up, not a super expensive one, but at least it was new. It got it all put together, and I have to tell you, man, uh, that night I cooked probably the best steak I've, I've ever cooked, all right? It was just, I don't know if it was because it was a new grill, but it just was so good. I mean, it just was, you know, it was pink in the middle and just seared on the outside and just seasoned just right. I mean, you could just smell the aroma coming out. Am I making anybody hungry yet? Yeah, just, you could smell it. Then we had, you know, baked potato and then just all the all the trimmings all the sides I mean it was just so so good oh it was such a good meal Uh, now I want you to just imagine that that's you you have you've invited a friend from church uh, to come over for dinner to get to get to know them better and you cook this the steak of your life okay it is just perfect just Everything is just the way it should be and you sit down at the table and you're about to take in this wonderful meal and you turn to the person that you invited and you notice that there's, they look uncomfortable, all right? They look uncomfortable and, and you, you lean over to them and you say, well, what's the matter? And they said, well, I, I really don't think that I can, I can eat this. And, and you're just like, oh, I'm so sorry to even ask. Are you like, you're like vegan? And like, no, not really. Uh, a vegetarian? No, not really. Uh, some kind of food allergy maybe? Uh, no. Then, then what's the problem? And they said something like, uh, well, I just, I just feel like that if I ate this steak, then I would be sinning against God now, I don't, I don't know how you'd respond to that. You know, you might, you might be curious, like, what do you mean sinning against God by eating this steak? It's awesome, you know? Or you might get a little defensive, like, well, what do you, th- you think I'm sinning against God now because I'm eating this and you're not eating this? Are you better than me? Or you might even get really offended, like, man, I'm never wasting another steak on you, all right? We're never having you back over. You know, I mean, how would you respond? Well, as weird as that scenario is that I'm just describing, that's exactly what was happening in the early church in Corinth. Now, let me explain. Uh, well, you've heard a lot already in this series about Corinth, the city. It was a very populated city, port city, very immoral city, but it was a city filled with pagan temples. Lots of pagan temples. And part of the worship of paganism in that day, whether Greco-Roman type of worship, is that people would come to the temple with a sacrifice, maybe a chicken, maybe a goat, something like that. And they would offer this to the pagan God as worship. A third of that meat would be consumed on the altar. A third of it would be given to the priest. And then a third of it would be brought home with the worshiper. So if somebody were to invite you over to their house for dinner and they were serving meat nine times out of 10, that meat had been offered to a pagan God. Now, what's worse than that is that any public uh, gathering was also meat offered to God. So if you went to a wedding and everybody sits down after the wedding and they're going to have a big meal, that food, that meat was 
Nine times out of 10, offer to a pagan god. Or if you went to a business party and they're all having dinner together, that was offered to a pagan god. Or if you went to a festival, that meat was offered to a pagan god. It was everywhere. You couldn't escape it. Even what made it more complicated is if you say, well, I'm just not gonna go to any social gatherings. I'm just gonna get my meat from the market. Guess what? That meat at the market was also offered to a pagan god. So you could not escape eating this meat unless you just raised it yourself and, and butchered it yourself. If you were out in the community at all, you were gonna be faced with this problem. Should a Christian eat meat offered to a pagan god? Now, in the church at Corinth, there were two sides to this argument. One side said, it's no big deal. It's just meat, right? It's just meat. God provides it for you, receive it, and move on. And then there were others that said, you know what? I just don't feel right about this. I feel like when I'm doing that, that I'm participating with that darkness. And I left that. That was my old life. I don't want to go back to that. And so there was, there was a discussion. There was a, a rift in the early church about this. Now, this is why they wrote to the Apostle Paul, would you please weigh in on this issue? Because it had become a wedge issue for them. And it was really uh, threatening their unity as a, a church body. Now, you might be asking yourself the question by now, why are we talking about this? All right? Because we don't have a problem with this, Craig. All right? If we're in Cambodia, maybe we'd have a problem because they still offer meat sacrifice idols. But we're in Colleyville, not Cambodia, and we don't have this problem. So how, what, can't you skip over this passage and move on to one a little more relevant for us? And I'd say, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, we may not have this issue, but there are wedge issues that we deal with all the time, issues that maybe are not expressly taught in scripture. And so some Christians think it's okay to do that. Other Christians think it's not okay to do that. And it can cause division among uh, churches and among Christians. Uh, for example, I grew up a uh, good old Baptist boy uh, with the Baptist motto, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go out with girls that do. You know that motto, right? And, uh, you know, we, you, there were just certain things you didn't do. You didn't go to the movies on Sunday. You certainly didn't play cards. And you never, ever, ever, what? Danced. That's right. People often ask me, can Baptists dance? And I say, well, some can and some can't. Just depends on how much rhythm they've got, you know. Uh, but we have all these rules, right? And we have all these issues that we can divide over. For example, smoking. Is it okay to smoke something or not? Tattoos, is it okay to have a tattoo or not? Is it okay to go down to Choctaw Casino you know, on Friday night, pull one of those one-armed bandits, or is that wrong? You know, uh, uh, can you go to certain movies? Can you watch certain things uh, or, or not? What about, what about uh, other issues like schooling? Is it, do you have to go to public school? Can you go to private school? Should you homeschool? What about politics? Can you, uh, can you vote for certain candidates or not other candidates? People are divided on these kind of issues. During COVID, we had some major issues with regard to vaccination or not vaccination, mask or not mask. There are always going to be issues like this that we, we can't really point to a verse and yet it can separate Bible-believing, God-loving Christians. So how do we get through that? How do we find unity 
and deal with these issues. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to give you our position on all those issues, all right? Well, this is where we stand on tattoos, and this is where we stand on drinking, this is where we stand. I'm not going to do that today, because if I'm adding rules and regulations on top of Scripture, that's called legalism, all right? We're, in, we're, we're covered by grace in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that, all right? So I'm not giving you rules, but what I am going to do is I'm going to give you four tests that you can apply to any issue to help you navigate through them to get to God's heart. That's why the title of the message is, can I do that? (laughs) Can I do that? Uh, Well, we're going to find out. We're going to apply these four tests that the Apostle Paul gives us that will help us navigate these wedge issues in our lives. Parents, you need to write this down because you are going to have this conversation with your kids, all right? And so this is going to be very, very helpful to us. When in doubt, put it to the test, all right? These four tests. Are you ready for them? Are you ready? All right, test number one, write this down, the scripture test. The scripture test. Uh, Let's pick up at verse four, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verse four. He said, now about eating food sacrificed to idols, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods, quotations, or many lords, quotations there, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. Now, right off the bat, the thing we need to ask is, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say about whatever topic that we're dealing with? Many times we don't know what the right answer is. So where do we start? We go to what we do know. What does the scripture say about this issue or or related issues? And here he starts off, he says, we know. We know some things. What things do we know? He said, we know that these so-called gods, notice the quotations around them, they're not really gods, they're not really lords, but yes, we know that there are pagan gods, pagan temples, every culture has them. We know that these gods are not really gods, these lords are not really lords. We know that there is one God, our Father in heaven, and one Lord, our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now, when he says there is one God, he's most likely referring back to a very common passage in the Old Testament called the Shema. The Shema means to hear. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6.4 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's probably most likely going back to Deuteronomy 6, it's saying, here's what we know, that there's one God. All these other gods are not really gods. We know there is one God, and these idols are nothing. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking through our, our neighborhood and just um, praying through Psalm 115. And Psalm 115 might have been on the mind of the Apostle Paul as he was writing this. Listen to these words about idolatry in Psalm 115. He says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound by, with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust 
in them. Wow. Very strong statement about idols. They're just, they're just blocks of wood or stone. They, they, they look like a person, look like a, a, a deity, but they're not. So Paul is starting back with what he knows. That there's one God and that all these other gods are not gods at all. He goes back to what scripture says. So the first thing that you need to do when you're like, can I do that? Is it wrong to do that? <laughs> what does the Bible say about it? The first thing you do is you go to scripture. What does the Bible say? Listen, we believe here at Cross Creek that this is God's word. Amen? Amen? This is God's word. This is not like a book of suggestions. This is like a historical book that's got some good morals in it. This is the word of God to us. And listen, how you see this book is very important because you're either going to put yourself over the word of God or you're going to put yourself under the word of God. You understand that? People that put themselves over the word of God say, well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but I think something else. I feel something else. And they discard God's word for what they think. They're saying, I know more. I am a greater authority than the word of God in my own life. In, uh, in 1720 or 1820, Thomas Jefferson wrote one of two religious books. Uh, this one book was called The Life and Morals of Jesus Christ. And really it was a compilation of verses in the Bible. And so back in those days, they couldn't pull it up on the web and then copy and paste. He literally had to cut out passages out of the Bible and paste them into his new book. And so his Bible ended up looking like this. And so he had a Bible that had parts cut out of it. Parts that he liked, other parts he discarded. Now, I wouldn't suggest that you do that, right? I, I, we want to keep the whole Bible. Uh, even today, there are uh, activity in the Chinese government to edit the Bible, to take out certain parts of it so that it's not taught. And we look at the Jefferson Bible, we, look, we hear that overseas, we go, oh, that's terrible. We, what a terrible thing to cut out things out of the word of God. Let me ask you something. Are you doing that? Are you saying, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but, and then you move on. I hear people do this all the time. They say it to me. I can't believe it. They, they tell me straight to my face. They'll say, you know, I know the Bible says that that's wrong, uh, but I've been praying about this and I really have a peace about this and I really feel like I should go ahead and do this. And so somehow their peace and their prayer and their feelings supersede the authority of God's word. That's what you call putting yourself over the word of God. My friends, uh, your peace is not greater than the authority of God's word, regardless of how you feel about a topic. All right, we have to get under the word of God. And the way we get under the word of God is we say, you know what? God's word is authority in my life. God's word is true. It is right. It is pure. It is, it is from him. And when I walk in his ways, I am blessed. And when I veer off his ways, then life becomes very difficult for me. I got to get under the word of God. And so the first thing I have to do is I have to ask the question, am I under the word of God? What does the Bible say? And uh, am I following the word of God to the best of my knowledge? Okay. The first test is the scripture test. All right. Everybody say that one, two, three, the scripture test. All right. Number two test 
is what we call the conscience test. The conscience test. Look at verse 7. However, not everyone has this knowledge. That is the knowledge that there's only one God. Right? Not everybody knows that. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We're no worse off if we don't eat and we are no better off if we do eat. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying there are some people that grew up in idolatry and... Uh, and that's a dark time for them. That, that was before they knew Jesus. And then all of a sudden they heard the gospel and God opened their eyes to truth and they got saved. And so they're gloriously saved. And, and now they look back at that and they don't want to have anything to do with that. That's my old life. That's what I used to run with. That's what I used to do. And we don't want to do anything of that anymore. I want to walk with God, see? And so if they see you eating this meat sacrificed to an idol, that's just so close to what they used to do that their conscience begins to be grieved over it. Does that make sense? Their conscience is grieved. Now, this is a great place to stop and just talk about the conscience. The Bible mentions the conscience over 30 times in the New Testament. Uh, the word conscience comes from the Latin uh, con, which means together, and siere, which means to know. And so it really means to know together or to know inwardly. So the conscience is, is our inner knowledge of what we do that is right and wrong. Richard Sibes, a 17th century Puritan pastor, wrote extensively about the conscience. And he said that the conscience was, quote, the soul reflecting on itself. So the conscience is uh, that part of you which says something is right or something is wrong. Psychologists will tell you if you don't have a conscience, then you're a psychopath. A psychopath has no sense of right and wrong, no sense of grief, remorse, or anything like that. And so God has given us a conscience for us to, to govern our actions and for us to reflect on ourselves. This is one of the things that separates humans from animals, Right? Your Labradoodle at home doesn't reflect on their conscience and wonder if they did something wrong or not, right? Uh, that's something that humans do, a self-reflection of their own moral choices. And your conscience knows your actions, knows your motives, and so on, and warns you about these things. You can hard your conscience. You can do something wrong and do it over and over and over and over and over again to where no longer does your conscience bother you about that very thing. It first Timothy chapter 4, we're told about uh, false teachers who have seared their conscience. They no longer feel remorse over the things that they have done. I, I guess you could say a conscience is like a warning light. Think about an engine warning light on your dash, right? And you see that and it, it means you need to take notes. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Warning, 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 warning right? Now you can put a piece of tape over that warning light or you can just ignore the warning light, but that doesn't mean the problem goes away. Problem's still there. You're just ignoring the warning signs. Same thing with your conscience. You can ignore your conscience. And if you do that, you harden your conscience so you no longer hear the warning or you can be aware of your conscience. Uh, several years ago, there was a um, 
there was a tool developed to share the gospel with people coming out of Muslim background. And uh, they start off with passages from the Quran about Jesus. And then they went to passages in the Bible about Jesus. And then went on to explain the gospel. And there were many people that came to Christ through that. But there were some people that pushed back against that and didn't want to use that tool. And the people that pushed back against it were people that had come out of Islam. And they said, I, I just, I don't want to quote the Quran. I don't want to take anybody to the Quran. He said, and that's my old life. And I just remember what it was like when I was under that darkness. I just want to just know Jesus and the Bible. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And their conscience was defiled. This is the same thing with this person eating meat. They don't want to go back to their old life. The darkness of it and their conscience is defiled in it. So how's your conscience? Is your conscience warning you about anything? Uh, you get in a situation and you're just, have a, people will say, I have a check in my spirit. That's what people many times will use that terminology. But there's something in you. Like, oh, I don't feel comfortable about that. You need to listen to your conscience. God has given that for you. Now, before you came to Christ, your conscience was formed or informed by the culture around you. Like you were doing stuff and you didn't think anything about it, right? You were just out doing it. But then when, when you were, the Holy Spirit began to convict you of your sin and you heard the gospel and the Spirit comes to live with you, now all of a sudden your conscience is being recalibrated to become in alignment with God. So now what you used to do, now it bothers you, right? Because now your conscience is being recalibrated, not to the culture, but to Christ. And so the more you walk with God, your conscience should become uh, sensitive to sin, Right? And then more and more informed by God's word to have a healthy conscience. So how is your conscience doing? Are you sensitive to sin in your life? Uh, let, me, let me just put it to you this way. Let's just say you're at home watching Netflix, right? You're watching Netflix and all of a sudden you're watching something and your conscience goes, you know, you surely shouldn't be watching this. Your conscience what do I do? Do I harden my conscience? Go, I'll be quiet. It's fine. All right. Nobody's here. It's not hurting anything. And you press on. That would cause you to harden your conscience. Or you could say, you know what? I just need to change the channel. All right. Or I just need to shut it off. I need to pick up a book. I need to turn off now so that I'm hearing my conscience. Maybe I'm uh, out with a group of people and they say, hey, we want to go to this place. And you're like, I don't know that I feel that comfortable. Do I harden my conscience and go on? Or do I listen to my conscience and get an Uber and go home? All right? See, that's the kind of thing that you got to do to be aware of your conscience. And so the first test is a scripture test. What does the Bible say about this? The second question is your con the conscience test. Is your conscience warning you about this? Is there something not right about it? You're never to ignore your conscience, but rather allow the word of God to inform your conscience as you grow. The third test is what we call the wisdom test. The wisdom test. You've got to go all the way over to chapter 10 to get that. Chapter 10, verse 19. So flip over. Remember, he's covering this topic in three chapters. Chapter 8, 9, and 10 shall be read together in understanding Paul's logic about food sacrificed to idols. But let's go to chapter 10, verse 19. He picks it back up there. He said, what am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. And not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Now here he's saying, what is the wise thing to do? Where is wisdom in this issue? Is this a wise thing to do? All through chapter 10, Paul has been warning them about idolatry, right? He's like, you guys, you're Corinthian Christians that say you can eat it, you can eat it, it's no big deal. You're forgetting that idolatry has historically been a really big problem for God's people. And he goes into Old Testament, he tells lots of different stories about how people fell into idolatry and God's judgment came on them. And he said, so this is a real problem. Don't be cavalier about this. This is a real issue. And then he says, by the way, yeah, there's no gods that they're worshiping, but behind every idol is a demonic presence. There is a demonic presence there. And you don't want to open yourself up to that. You want to get close to that. I remember being... uh, in India years ago, and we visited a Hindu temple, and they were offering some kind of sacrifice in there. And I can remember, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go in. I, I was like, I seen from the outside, kept moving, because you could just sense the demonic presence in that place. There's a real thing. Now, there are lots of ways that you can open yourself up to demonic presence, or there's ways that you can open yourself up, or even desensitize yourself to evil. Uh, It's kind of appropriate we're talking about this right now because we're coming up on Halloween and I'm, you know, I personally don't, I'm not a, I don't have a big problem with getting candy, you know, as long as you're not 40 years old, you know, knocking on people's doors. You know, that's a little bit of, uh, I call the cops when that happens. But, but, you know, all the movies that start coming out this time of year, it's, you know, another exorcist version or it's, you know, it's another, and it, there's a cel- almost a celebration and fascination with the demonic. And people laugh, ha oh, that's all, you know, let's just, let's just make believe. No, 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 it's really not. I mean, that may be make believe on the movie, but there's a real presence. And so we don't want to ever open ourselves up to the things that are evil or even desensitize ourselves to evil, but to see it for what it is clear-mindedly And then he gets down here to these key questions of verse 23. Everything's permissible. By the way, these questions um, should sound familiar because Paul actually used these back in chapter 6. But he said, yo, everything's permissible. That's right. You know, this food, it's permissible. But is it beneficial? (laughs) Is it helping you in your walk with God? Everything is permissible. But does it build you up in your faith? Are you growing in the Lord as you do this thing? Whatever it is. And these are really good questions for us to ask. These are wisdom questions. Is this going to benefit me? Is this going to help me? Is it going to hinder me in any way? Could, it be master- could I be mastered by this in any way? Is there an addictive nature to this in any way? I have to be aware of these things. What does wisdom say? What do the wise people say in your life? I'll have some people come to me, can I do this, pastor? And I will sometimes say, well, what do, uh, have you talked to other uh, wise people in your life? Oh, yeah. Uh, who have you talked to? Well, I talked to my connect group leader. I talked to this pastor. I talked to these godly people. What do they say? They say, don't do it. Then why are we talking? Why are you asking me this question? Don't do it. What, what, what part of don't do it is, is difficult? Listen, if the wise people in your life and, and you're asking yourself these questions, is, is it beneficial? Is it building me up? Could it master me? If, if these are 
challenges than just say no and walk away. The wisdom test. Don't ignore the voices of wisdom in your life. Don't ignore your conscience. Don't ignore God's word. And then we get to the last test. And that is the love test. Go back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, he talks about, uh, I mean, I'm not chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1. Back to chapter 8, verse 1. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He's basically saying there that, you know, you can know all the right things, but God's not just concerned about what you know. He's also concerned about how you love other people. And you know some people, right? They know everything chapter and verse, but they're not very loving. And God's concerned about how you love. Are you loving your brother and sister well in this controversy? Are you loving them well? And you say, well, what does it mean to love my brother and sister well in a, when we don't see eye to eye on an issue? And he describes it in verse 9. Look down at verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. He said, but be careful that this right of yours, that is the right to eat this meat, be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against your brother and sister and wound their conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother and sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. What does it mean to be a stumbling block? Verse 9, he says, don't be a stumbling block. A stumbling block is something that you do that causes someone else to ignore their conscience, to go against their conscience and to sin against God. That's what it means to be a stumbling block, to lead someone to sin. In fact, in verse 11, it's a serious thing because it says that brother is ruined. It doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation. It just means that they've sinned against God. They've, uh, they've ignored their conscience. So you've got to be careful that what you do is not seen in such a way that would cause someone else to stumble. Now, a classic case of this that you've heard probably many times before has to deal with alcohol. Okay, so let's just talk about that for a minute. Uh, the Bible does not prohibit alcohol. I know, Jesus turned the water into wine. Uh, every Baptist grimaces about that, but it's true, all right? First miracle, water to wine, Jesus drank wine. Uh, we know that his disciples did because they, at least one time when they were at the Lord's table, they drank wine. This wine is my blood, he said. We know that was common practice in those days. We also know that the Bible prohibits drunkenness, that you are never to be drunk. So there seems to be some latitude in there. So am I free in that regard? Uh, probably so. However, we have to be careful that in our freedom, we don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. You bring somebody over to your house and uh, you're, you, you 
open up a six-pack or you pop the cork and that bro, you don't know that brother or sister maybe has really struggled with alcohol or they grew up with an alcoholic family and they got a lot of issues there then you might could inadvertently influence them back into a thing that they've been trying to get out of or maybe you're seen publicly in this case he gives actually a case of them eating in an idol's temple that's a public environment and somebody sees you you don't even know that they see you but they see you and they somehow think that what you're doing is okay and so they take it and then beyond in excess so what is the position here then he goes on to say at the end of chapter 10 and also here at the end of chapter 8 that if you are mature then you will restrict your freedom so as never to cause a brother or sister to stumble. That's love. That's what love looks like. Love says, okay, I won't do that now because I don't want to ever cause you to, to stumble or to fall into sin. That's what love looks like. And always the mature person is the one who restricts freedom uh, so as to show love and deference to a weaker brother or sister in Christ. Uh, back to the back to your house, all right? And you grilled that beautiful steak, and you said you can't you can't eat it, and you're not because you're vegan. But you know, it's a, I'm afraid that's sacrifice to an idol. Then what would be the most loving thing for that brother to do? Back in Corinth, he would say, "Well, I tell you what, let's put this in the refrigerator, and let's just order some cheese pizza. How about that? And we'll just have cheese pizza together, and we'll just celebrate and enjoy each other's fellowship. Because I never want to cause that brother or sister to struggle. Listen, our lives." need to always be stepping stones to Christ, not stumbling blocks to sin. Your life needs to be a stepping stone to Jesus, never a stumbling block. And let me just say, personally, uh, as your pastor, there are certain things I could do in freedom, but I don't do because I never want to be a stumbling block. There are places I could go. I've got freedom in Christ, right? Uh, but I don't go. I choose to restrict that. Uh, out of my love for you and for those that might see me in that place. So I think that is the mature place. That is what love looks like. So is there any practice that you're doing that even now the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, maybe we should be careful what we do or where we do that so as never to cause a brother or sister to stumble. Think about those tests. We're looking at these tests. How do we navigate? How do we find unity in all these various issues of life? Well, you got to look at these four tests. There is a scripture test. What does the Bible say? Are you under the authority of God's word? There's the conscience test. Is your conscience warning you about it? Do you have a check in your spirit? Listen to your conscience. Don't ignore it. There's the wisdom test. Is it wise what you're doing? Is it beneficial? Is it building up? Is there anybody wise that's warning you not to do that? Listen to wisdom. And the last one is love. Are you willing to set yourself apart or to restrict your freedom so as to bring hope and bless others and never to be a stumbling block, but always a stepping stone to Jesus? You know, that last one reminds me so much of Christ, right? Who restricted his freedom. He was in heaven enjoying all the glory and then he chose to lay that aside and to take on human flesh and to come and to die on a cross and to rise again from the dead so that we could be redeemed. That's the essence of the gospel. That's true love. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe this morning, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. 
And maybe there's some area in your life that you need to restrict or maybe some area where you've been ignoring your conscience. Or maybe there's some area where you've not been listening to godly wisdom. Or you've cut some verses out of the scripture in your own heart. Would you just offer that to the Lord right now? Lord, my life, I want it to always be a stepping stone. And never a stumbling block. Lord, help me to love my brother and sister well and always encourage them to walk with you. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you how relevant it is, how true it is. Lord, I pray that, that God, as we go into this week and we make all kinds of choices, we're bombarded with all kinds of scenarios and situations that many times are hard to navigate, God, help us to use these four tests to walk with you well, to love people well, to walk in wisdom and truth and help us to love each other well and showing deference to our brother and sister in Christ. Lord, help us be stepping stones to Jesus this week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.